To God be the glory for the wonderful things that God has done. What a blessing it is to be back here in the pulpit of this extraordinary community of faith. The last time I was with you in person, January 2020, I believe it was. Boy, is the world different. But I think in some ways I will paraphrase the Apostle Paul. For all of the time that I've been trying to get back here to share and fellowship with you, neither death nor life, no principalities, no things present, no things to come, nor a pandemic or ice storm shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I bring you greetings today on behalf of the community of Wake Forest University School of Divinity. Uh, we view ourselves as a partner to this congregation because we understand ourselves to be a partner in the work of fostering agents of justice, reconciliation, and compassion, of training disciples that will be architects of hope, equity, and healing. That is the work of Wake Divinity. That is the work of Myers Park Baptist Church. And this is why I see us as partners, because what you do contributes to a more just and humane world. And that's what we seek to do even in the classroom as we're training religiously sincere and sober religious professionals. We see our work as mutually reinforcing because who knows that your next pastor, your next associate minister might be training in one of our classrooms right now just as one of our future seminarians might be sitting in these pews right now. And when God answers, and when God, uh, when you answer the call that God has placed on your life, I hope that this congregation and anybody in this congregation would see Wake Divinity as a viable place to earn your theological education. Just as we hope that this congregation will view our community as a resource as you do the work of loving justice and walking humbly before our God. Also, let me just take a point of privilege and say Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day oh, to all of those here who have given uh, birth biologically and or who have stood up and stepped in and served in such profound and deep ways to mentor uh, those in our community. We are because of you and we thank God for you. And we also lift up and pray for anybody who's here or who's uh, watching right now. Those who are separated from their children, whether it's their child as 
transcended and rests above the veil right now, or whether it's because of physical distance, imprisonment, incarceration, and you're feeling that loss, please know that we sit with you today. Amen. We've already heard the scripture from the book of Acts, chapter 9. The book of Acts, chapter 9. I'm going to, Dr. Boswell, emphasize a particular verse for homiletic emphasis. All the widows stood beside him, weeping. and showing off tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. All the widows stood beside Peter weeping and showing off tunics and all of the other clothing that she, Tabitha, had made while she was with them. With your prayers and the Holy Spirit's compassion, I'll speak just for a few moments, uh, clothed in compassion. Clothed in compassion. Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, I need your help. Amen. My friends, there was a bombshell report this week from the halls of Washington, D.C. Something wholly unprecedented. Someone leaked documents from the Supreme Court. A Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe versus Wade. We all know it's a hot button issue, a lightning rod of the culture wars, and camps are organizing on both sides of the debate, catalyzed by this recent revelation. But Dr. Marty, for an insightful perspective, I encourage you to check out a piece this week, all of you, a piece this week in New, Yorker's, New Yorker magazine by historian Jill Lepore. Professor Lepore offers an extraordinary historical analysis of Judge Samuel Alito's anti-Roe versus Wade argument. You see, Judge Alito argues that there is no mention of abortion in the Constitution. And thus, according to Judge Alito's opinion, I quote, no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. And then following a form of judicial reasoning known as the history test, Judge Alito argues that something can only become a right if it is deeply rooted in this nation's history and traditions. 
Something can only be a right if there's explicit reference in the Constitution. Yet, Professor Lepore, without necessarily coming down in defense or opposition of Roe, argues the flawed logic of such a history test. The topics of abortion, pregnancy, breastfeeding, or any other topic related to women are not in the original draft of the Constitution. Why? Because there is nothing in the document about women at all. As she writes, 55 men drafted the Constitution in 1787. No women were delegates among the Constitutional Convention. No women were among those who ratified the Constitution in the states. No women judges, no women legislators, and outside of a few exceptions in the state of New Jersey, no women could even vote in this country. So for all intents and purposes, women did not exist as persons or citizens when the original Constitution was drafted. Thus, it should be no surprise that issues germane to women are missing from the Constitution. Women were missing from the conversation and thus the conceptualization of this document. And such an erasure of women, Lepore argues, is not an original position to honor and uphold. It's a tragic reality to amend and reform. Well, in many ways, Myers Park, Lepore's treatment of Judge Alito's approach to jurisprudence applies across many disciplines and fields. For our purposes today, it even applies to biblical and theological interpretation. For so often when we think of the Hebrew prophets, so often when we think of Jesus' disciples, or even when we consider the apostles of the early church, their stories, their challenges, their views, their interpretations of events, we often embrace as mere history a sacred narrative told through the views and vantage points of men. Our early church, early church fathers hardly considered the cares and concerns of women. Rarely until recently were women included as authoritative interpreters of the Bible, nor have the views of women characters in the biblical text been taken seriously until the past few decades. So when we're talking theology and biblical interpretation, we aren't talking history. We are literally talking his story. That's why I can think of, a, think of the wonderful work of two of my colleagues at Wake Divinity. Consider theologian Elizabeth Gandolfo. In her work, she appeals to the vulnerability of motherhood to help Christians overcome our anxiety about suffering. Anxiety about suffering in the church that often causes us to contribute to the sufferings in others. Why? Because it's our quest to be in control. 
And there's the work of New Testament scholar Catherine Shana. Professor Shainer's work focuses on women and the enslaved in the early Christian church. These groups were most often the ones who gravitated toward Jesus's Jewish renewal movement in the first century. As she argues so well, it was not the prosperous and the powerful who were most inclined to become Jesus's followers, but because it was Jesus's emphasis on the least, the left out and the left behind that caused those on the margins of society, namely women and the enslaved, to make Jesus their choice. And this is why this is why I was so glad to see, see today's particular pericope of scripture as the appointed lectionary text. It's the story that introduces us to Tabitha, a woman whom the Bible describes as a disciple of Jesus. A woman who was clearly loved and revealed and revered in the port city of Joppa. But unfortunately, unfortunately, like so many other cases, this story is not really about this extraordinary woman, Tabitha, also known by her Greek name, Dorcas. The story is really about Peter. For earlier in chapter 9, Paul, also known as Saul, receives his call to apostolic authority. And so then the writer of Acts turns back to Peter. The writer uses this narrative to reestablish Peter's spiritual legitimacy. And like Jesus and like the Hebrew prophets Elijah and Elisha, the writer shows that Peter even has the power to raise people from the dead. The story is about Peter. This is why Tabitha shows up as the most passive of figures here. A straightforward reading of the text is, what is it? Tabitha died. The women mourn. They call for Peter. Peter shows up on the scene, raises Tabitha from the dead, and saves the day. The most passive of figures if we read it in that way. Tabitha, a disciple of Jesus. Who is she? What is she in the story? Dead. But I want us to consider a few critical points. Points that might encourage us, Myers Park Baptist, to think differently about power, about healing, about what it even means to live. First, let's consider Tabitha apart from Peter. The Bible says that she is a disciple. In fact, it's the only time in the New Testament that the feminine form of the noun disciple is used to describe her. Oh, today we use the term disciple in a very common manner. It's someone or it's a student of a particular person, right? A disciple of Hauerwas or a disciple of Anne Rand. But in the ancient world, a disciple was one who embodied active 
actively imitated and even apprenticed under their leader or teacher. The term disciple is never used loosely or lightly in the early church. So that means it's clear that Tabitha was an influential figure in her own right. But the story does not even take the time to give us any details about it. Did she know Jesus? Did she follow Jesus? What church did she build? But maybe, maybe, just maybe, Tabitha would have wanted it that way. Maybe she would have rejected the attention. Maybe she would have shirked away from the valorization of her name. Maybe for her to truly embody and imitate the life of Jesus, she would have preferred for it to be Peter and Paul who worked themselves up into an ego-fueled duel for authority in the church. For while others actively work themselves into nameless graves, Tabitha was forgetting about herself into immortality. How? By caring for those in need, providing for widows in comfort, caring for children, and healing the souls of those who felt their backs against the wall in the city of Joppa. This is what makes Tabitha an extraordinary leader. This is what makes her a faithful disciple. And I realize, Myers Park, that in our modern world, we've become so conditioned to overlook leaders like Tabitha. We use androcentric, militaristic language like disruptors, crushing the competition. Being in command, we describe leaders as generals. It's no wonder that when we look for leaders, we privilege those who represent a particular conception of strength and power. But you know, even leadership guru Jim Collins challenges us here. When he studied 1,500 companies for his best-selling book, from good to great. His team discovered that the most important and consistent quality seen in all successful leaders was neither unbridled innovation nor harsh execution, but rather it was humility and empathy. Our ability to privilege the cares and concerns of others. Our capacity to develop the emotional intelligence to understand and even identify with the cares of others. Also, oh, even though the biblical writer deposits Tabitha in this story as Peter's prop rather than a person, there are clues for us to follow that says something so wonderful incredible about her leadership qualities. Clues that speak to her compassion. Clues that reconstruct her leadership in the church. And clues that reveal that her humility and her empathy transformed the congregation in Joppa. This is why at the time of her death, all the widows mourned. 
And I believe that all of us would do well today to live our lives in such a way. We would do well to live our lives in such a way that when the bell tolls for us, our communities will mourn. Not because of our individual accolades, but because of the difference that we sought to make in the lives of others. But in addition to mourning, the community was also celebrating. Because when we live lives of love and service, mourning and celebration go hand in hand. The people were celebrating Tabitha's wonderful life and wonderful legacy. The Bible says that the women showed off their tunics and their other clothing that Tabitha had made for them. They were celebrating her life. Oh, come on, use your Holy Ghost imaginations with me. Can't you see it? I can see one woman smiling through her tears. This, this is my favorite garment. When my husband died, Tabitha stitched this beautiful dress so that I could go and sell goods at the market. Tabitha did this for me. I see another woman. Look at this blanket that Tabitha made my child. All of my children always knew that if they needed anything, they could call on their godmother, Tabitha. Oh, she always had an open door and an open ear. And our kids were her kids. That's who Tabitha was to us. Another woman interjects. Every time I'm feeling low and I'm feeling sad, I remember that moment that Tabitha showed up at my door with food and this beautiful tunic. So now every time I get sad and I get depressed, I do what Tabitha did. I prepare a meal and I take it to someone in need. Why, Tabitha was right. She gave us the greatest gift. Giving is the greatest gift. Serving others is the greatest salve for our sorrows. That's what Tabitha taught me. Friends, it's Mother's Day. It's that time for us to celebrate the many Tabithas in our lives. It may have been your biological mother. It might have been that teacher, that coach, that community member that became your other mother. But whether by birth or by choice, consider that person who modeled empathy and affection. Celebrate those women who embodied the tenderness and warmth of God and honor that person who will live on forever through the example of generosity and expressions of love and commitment to justice. These women, oh, these beautiful women in the text, they were mourning and they were celebrating. They had tears in their eyes, but they broke out with an impromptu fashion show. 
These women understood the maxim that those whom we love never really leave us because love itself lives on in cherished memories and tender acts of compassion. This community was literally clothed in Tabitha's compassion. And my friends, it's this interpretation of the text that makes me question just a little bit the way that Peter shows up in the story. Look closely. Go follow my logic here. Look closely. The Bible says that at the time that she became ill and died, the women washed her and laid her in a room upstairs. And since the disciples, disciples, plural here, which I'm assuming there were other women disciples in Joppa with Tabitha, when the disciples discovered that Peter was in a neighboring town, they sent for him. And even the Bible, the story writer says that it, they said, please come to us without delay. This is all they said. Please come to us without delay. This is the only message that the women conveyed. Come to us without delay. This was their ask. Y'all follow me here. My friends, I've been married on the 29th of May. I've been married for 23 years. My wife, Cecily. 23 years. And since we started dating as high schoolers, we've been dating for 33 years. Married for 23 years, relationship for 33 years. And it's taken me 33 years and counting to learn an important lesson from my relationship. <laughs> it's something like this. When my wife calls upon me, come without delay. I have something to share with you. Most often she is calling upon me to listen. She's calling upon me to be present. That's what I'm learning. What I'm also learning is that she is not often calling upon me to tell her what I would do. to tell her what she should do, or she's not calling on me necessarily even to fix her problem. I have learned more than once, sometimes she just wants an ear. She just wants a sounding board. She just wants somebody there present as she considers what she wants to do. I'm trying to help somebody here. Yet look at Peter. He shows up. He proceeds upstairs, raises Tabitha from the dead physically. He pulled her up, then called in the saints and the widows, showed her to be alive. And yet we never hear from Tabitha or from any of the other women in the story ever again. We just assume that this is what they wanted because it's what Peter wanted. The story 
ignores the fact that this community was already clothed in Tabitha's compassion. It ignores the fact that whether Tabitha lived in the flesh five more days or five more years, her legacy of love was already eternal. Tabitha was already alive in the celebration of these mourning women. This whole scene, as I take my seat, reminds me of the life of Sarah Schneerer. Sarah Schneerer lived in the first quarter of the 20th century in Poland. She's revered in the Jewish community for her emphasis on women's education and establishing school systems to improve the quality of life of Jewish women across the globe. A friend of the family once reported this exchange at Sarah Schneer's home. One day Sarah was eating lunch when two women came by. They were dealing with some sort of family emergency and they began pouring out their hearts to Sarah. Then the friend noticed Sarah's elderly mother get up and walk into the kitchen and over the stove the elderly mother broke down and began to weep and she said, these women don't let my daughter live. They're wearing her down. She doesn't even have time to eat lunch. They're always bringing her their troubles. The friend says that Sarah Schneer overheard her mother. She got up, she entered the kitchen, and she said, Mother, please, please don't worry. Everything is going to be fine. These women, they are letting me live. These women and girls are giving me life through their successes and their joys. We will all live after we're dead. Myers Park, today we celebrate the many Tabitha and Sarahs of the world. Women who clothed us in compassion. Women who live on through us. May we continue to spread their legacy and may we live our lives in such a way that we defend the dignity, the humanity, the integrity, and the moral agency of all women. And that we do it on their terms. <laughs>